Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me. But it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. My new novel, Mr. Secrets, is out now. I'm very happy with how this book turned out. If you're a fan of The Warning Woods, I think you will love it. You can order a paperback, hardcover, or ebook through Amazon, and soon there will be an audiobook available on Audible and iTunes as well. Order soon to get your copy in time for some Halloween reading. Again, it's called Mr. Secrets, and it's available through Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. The house protruded from the earth like an untended headstone and looked similarly weathered. Green moss grew in stubbly patches across its once white siding and between shingles that resembled a candy addict's teeth. It stood two stories tall, a grave marker in a cemetery full of forgotten people. Only, in this metaphorical graveyard, the neglected inhabitants were still alive. Once a lively, if small, community of farmers and truckers, mostly, Scarecrow, Illinois had steadily declined as its wealthier, or luckier, inhabitants had moved to the nearby town of Fulton. They left their poor and struggling neighbors in their wake, and conditions only declined as the poor and struggling became the poor, struggling, and elderly. Lee Timmons was the epitome of this condition. 
He and his wife Cheryl had lived together in the run-down house since the paint had been fresh, white, and tacky. It had been something of a dream home back then. A large living space downstairs with a big dining room and a modern kitchen with a gas stove. Not just three, but four bedrooms upstairs, ready for all of their future children. Three boys and two girls if they had their way. But as the Timmins' dreams faded, so did the house. Cheryl was barren, or so Lee decided. He had never been willing to get a test himself. Lee had worked the fields while Cheryl taught elementary school. In the evening, they ate a small supper and read quietly to themselves before shuffling upstairs to sleep by nine. Eventually, the elementary school closed and Lee's hands began to shake too much to be reliable. The couple was forced to rest on their unremarkable laurels and pitiful social security as they lived out their glory years, the third act as people call it, although act implies action, which the Timminses experienced very little of. Lee constructed a small garden in the backyard with raised beds so he wouldn't have to stoop all the way down to tend to it. One afternoon in the spring, he was preparing to plant some peppers while Cheryl hung what little laundry the two of them had dirtied on the line. With his rusty old spade, Lee dug a neat little row of three-inch deep holes along one of the garden's shorter sides. As he eyeballed the spacing for the next row, he noticed something odd. Cheryl, you come take a look at this? He called across the yard. What, you find a slug or something? She replied impatiently. No... Lee's voice had a peculiar lilt that made him sound uncharacteristically concerned. Cheryl clipped the blouse she was holding on the line and limped over to her husband's gardening chair. I swear this knee is going to be solid rock by the end of the week if I can't get over to see someone in Fulton. So what am I looking at? She asked. You don't see it? I see dirt, a few holes, but you put those there yourself. Are you going senile already? Lee looked up at his wife, dumbfounded. She was shaped like a top, broad and round up high, tapering down to legs that looked like they might snap beneath her weight. From the angle of his gaze, she looked positively menacing, even though she was completely harmless. Lee pointed a bony finger at the strange gray mist he saw filling each hole. You don't see the gray stuff swirling around in there? Why, if these weren't raised beds, I'd be worried I'd hit a gas line or something. Old man, there's nothing there but dirt, she repeated. Lee looked back at her, then at the garden bed, and back at Cheryl again. You really don't... But Cheryl had already started hobbling back to the laundry. Lee scratched his head. He watched the swirling substance until Cheryl finished her chore, then followed her inside. He wanted to stay but the disgusted look Cheryl had given him as she limped past with her empty laundry basket had discouraged him. He washed his hands in the kitchen sink, watching the garden bed through the window as he scrubbed. A thin mist began to rise out of each hole, expanding and stretching, linking together a few inches above the dirt. Lee squeezed his eyes shut and opened them again. He held his dripping hands limply by his chest, wishing he could rub his eyes with them. The mist gathered in a large mass, then began to take shape. At first it looked like a tall, featureless man, but then it tapered in the middle like an hourglass. Some of the mist around the lower half of the figure evaporated, leaving two shapely legs behind. Within seconds, the strange, foggy substance 
had taken the form of a very attractive young woman. Have I finally lost it? Lee wondered as he looked guiltily to the basement door behind him where Cheryl had disappeared with the laundry basket just a minute before. The ghostly woman in the garden had no face, but Lee's imagination placed beautiful, almond-shaped eyes there, a cute, slightly upturned nose, and heart-shaped lips. With sadness, Lee realized he was painting the memory of his wife's younger face onto the vision before him. But then the real Cheryl's heavy, uneven footsteps started thumping up the basement steps, and Lee snapped back to reality. He blinked, and the woman outside was gone. But, as if to assure him he hadn't imagined everything, a few lonely wisps of smoky gray lingered in the air before gently blowing away. Lee kept what he had seen through the window to himself. At best, Cheryl would have thought he was lying. At worst, she would have accused him of senility again. He decided the woman in the garden would be his secret. He kept her appearance locked up in his head, next to his desire to see her again. Lee went up to bed early that night. He just wanted to be alone. He passed by each bedroom as he went down the hallway upstairs. The bedrooms were, perhaps, the saddest part of the house. The first was just a small spare room in which the couple had put a twin bed in case someone were to visit them. It had never been used. The next room was supposed to have belonged to the two girls they had dreamed of. They had put two beds and a bookshelf in that room. The bookshelf was even stocked with children's books for their unborn daughters to read at night before drifting off to sleep. The boxcar children and Nancy Drew were the only young people who had ever spent a night in that room. The next room down had once contained three twin beds, all crammed in there for the three boys who would never exist. This crowded room was the only one the couple had altered after realizing children weren't in their future. Unsure of what else to use the room for, they had replaced the three twin beds with a single queen. That bed had been used on occasion when one of them was sick, or if Cheryl complained of Lee's snoring. Finally, he reached the master bedroom at the end of the hall. He laid in their bed for a few minutes and found he couldn't stop thinking about what he had seen in the garden. Cheryl hadn't come upstairs yet, and the noises she would make would give him plenty of warning, so he decided to go back to the girls' room. It had a big window with an excellent view of the backyard. To his elated surprise, she was there. The woman in the garden glowed in the moonlight, her transparent form catching its soft rays and reflecting them. Hello, Lee, she said to him. The sound of her voice startled him. It didn't rise up to meet him from the garden, but rather expanded outward from the middle of his brain, filling his ears without making an audible sound. Am I imagining you? he whispered. The woman shook her head. She motioned for him to come down to her. What about my wife? he asked. Do you honestly care what she thinks anymore? the woman asked telepathically. Lee didn't answer right away, but his mind settled on no. Before he could verbalize his answer, the woman spoke again, seeming to have read his thoughts. I didn't think so. Now come down here and be with me before I choose to leave. Lee still felt hesitant. He still wasn't quite sure he was actually seeing the woman in the garden, but he couldn't risk her abandoning him, not before he knew who or what she was. Spending the rest of his years wondering sounded like a living hell. Better to embarrass himself one night than to spend every night that followed wondering what might have been, he decided. 
He went back downstairs. Cheryl was sitting on the love seat, slouched over a romance novel she had read half a dozen times before. She barely looked up at him as he stepped off the stairs. What brings you back down? Here to bother me? She demanded. Wouldn't dream of it, Lee replied blandly. So what then? You know, it's really none of your business, darling, Lee said, surprising himself with his own confident defiance. Cheryl scoffed and set the paperback face down on her knee. Lee Michael Timmons, she started, but Lee had already walked past her into the kitchen. He went to the basement door, a mirthful smile bending his lips, and closed the door behind him as he went downstairs. He crossed the basement under the single light bulb that hung from the ceiling. The cellar door was across the basement and up another miniature flight of stairs. It opened into the side yard, which led into the backyard. The basement itself was empty, save for the washer and dryer. The Timminses had learned the hard way that it was prone to flood, so they didn't store any of their few possessions down there anymore. Somehow, despite its near emptiness, the basement seemed to house more shadows than usual that night. Lee looked around at the walls as he crossed the short distance between staircases and noted the dark shapes there, formless, shifting shadows that danced in the unmoving light. Lee quickened his pace. He wasn't one to scare easily, and the basement had never frightened him before. Had he been primed for spooks by the vision of the garden woman? Whatever the cause, he felt uneasy and wanted to get out as soon as he could. The cellar door was within arm's reach when the light bulb flickered behind him. He had changed that bulb just a few weeks before. It shouldn't have been going out yet. He pressed on the cellar door to open it up and escape the threatening atmosphere of the basement, but the door wouldn't budge. He couldn't lift it. Lee put his shoulder against the door and pushed upward with all his strength, but the door simply would not open. He may as well have been pushing against the wall. Hello, Lee. The woman's voice came from behind him. Lee whipped around. His heart accelerated to a dangerous pace for a man his age. Every rushed beat hurt. His chest ached. He couldn't find her. His heart beat faster. He tried to breathe calmly to slow it down, but found that impossible. The light flickered again. His chest tightened. Lee stumbled and fell forward. The light went out. Cheryl heard Lee coming back up the stairs and quickly turned the page away from one of the more lurid scenes in her book. She didn't know why she felt so embarrassed to be caught reading such smut. Lee had made it quite clear he didn't care what she thought of him, so why should she care what he thought of her? Besides, Lee must have known what was in those books. Who was she trying to kid? She waited, then waited some more. Lee's footsteps had stopped in the kitchen, and now she didn't know what he was up to. Probably just staring out the window, the loon, she thought. One heavy footstep thumped. A board creaked in response. The hair on Cheryl's forearms stood up. Something felt wrong. She considered calling out to her husband, but some irrational fear warned her against making any sound at all. Instead, she continued to listen. A shimmery metallic sound came next. A long slide punctuated by a high, ringing tone. Cheryl knew the sound well. It was the long butcher knife she used on chicken breasts and pork loins, sliding out of the wooden block to slice, to cut. That knife was the only one she ever bothered to keep sharp. Lee? 
His name left her lips before she realized she was speaking. Her heartbeat quickened. One of his feet slid along the floor, the whispery sound sending a chill down Cheryl's spine. The thud of his other foot followed. Cheryl stood up and eyed the front door, judging how quickly she could hobble over to it and debating whether or not to move towards it now. She thought of her husband's odd behavior in the garden earlier and how she had joked about him going senile. Maybe it was worse than she thought. Maybe he had cracked. Two more footsteps creaked in the kitchen, then two more. There was less space between them now. Lee seemed to have decided where he was going. It was Lee, wasn't it? Cheryl suddenly realized she didn't know for sure. They never locked the cellar door. What if someone had snuck down there to wait for the cover of night? Now she did move towards the front door. She couldn't help but make the boards creak herself, which caused the other footsteps to quicken. Cheryl reached out and unlocked the door as she took the last couple of steps. Where are you going? The voice was her husband's, and it wasn't. The shape of it was his, but not the tone or cadence. She heard something deeply threatening beneath the words it uttered. Lee? she asked fearfully. Of course, he replied. The knife in his right hand reflected moonlight from the window into her eyes. Come back over here. You're worrying me. I'm worrying you? You're scaring me, she shouted. What do you have that knife for? Lee stared at her blankly as if he suddenly couldn't understand English. The vacant flatness of his eyes scared Cheryl enough to turn the doorknob and get outside, but the knob wouldn't turn. She turned the lock again, thinking in her panic she had forgotten which way it went, but the knob still didn't turn in her grasp. She rattled it frantically and turned her gaze from Lee to the door. At once, he was on top of her, as if her watchful eyes were all that had kept him at bay. The knife sunk into her shoulder, and Cheryl screamed. With primal strength, she shoved Lee away. He landed heavily on the stairs, but continued to look up at her with a gleeful, childlike expression. Tears of terror and pain streamed from her eyes as Cheryl limped through the living room. She didn't know where she could go. The basement? She would have to get out through the cellar door. If the front door wouldn't open, that was the only way. She could hear him behind her as she went, getting closer with each uneven step. Why are you doing this to me? She cried as she entered the kitchen. Lee's heavy breathing sounded close. She could practically feel his breath on her hair. To you? I am doing this for you, Lee said, if it really was Lee. When she wasn't looking at him, Cheryl noticed the voice didn't really sound like it belonged to her husband at all. She reached for the basement door. The knob turned in her hand, warming her with hope, but as she pulled the door open, Lee's hand caught her wrist. Get off me, she shouted. The hand on her wrist spun her around and she saw the face that had once belonged to her husband was his no more. The eyes were widened as if in permanent shock. The nostrils gaped at her as they flared above stretched lips. The lips outlined clenched teeth in a smile that looked more like a grimace in the shadowy kitchen. What have you done to my husband? She asked, trembling, and the hand released her. Her husband's arms went out to his sides like he expected a hug. His head cocked to one side curiously. Why, Cheryl, what makes you think I am not he? 
Cheryl sniffled and said, Your way of talking, for one thing. That's not how Lee talks. Are you a demon? A stranger's laugh came from her husband's chest. A demon? A servant of the devil himself? No, sweet Cheryl. I am quite the opposite. I am a savior. Your savior. And I serve no master. The so-called savior patiently gave Cheryl a quiet moment to wrap her head around everything he had said. Her head swam. If not for the throbbing pain in her shoulder and her blouse sticking to her skin with warm blood, she would have thought she had drifted off while reading on the loveseat. This nightmarish situation didn't seem real. A burning question festered on the tip of her tongue. She thought she already knew the answer and dreaded confirmation. Still... She had to ask, Is my husband dead? Lee's right hand crossed over his chest and pressed softly over his own heart. I'm afraid Lee's poor old heart gave out at the sight of me. The real me, that is. He didn't seem to mind the sight of me in another form. Cheryl's own heart fell at this cryptic statement. She remembered Lee's odd demeanor earlier, in the garden, and just before he had gone down to the basement. You were in the garden, she said. You tricked him. Too easily, my dear woman, too easily. But there's no tricking you, is there? One of Lee's narrow legs stepped closer to Cheryl. She backed up to the top of the stairs, ready to run, but afraid to turn her back to the monster inside her husband. He seemed to sense her hesitation and grinned wider as he took another step toward her. Cheryl dangled her foot, the one attached to the arthritic knee, over the stairs. Dreadfully, she realized she didn't have a hope in hell of outrunning this thing. Unless... She reached for the door to slam it shut and give herself a few extra seconds to get down the stairs. Lee's hand landed firmly on top of her own as she gripped the edge of the door. Her wide, terrified gaze met his playful, confident eyes. His grip tightened, crushing Cheryl's fingers against the hardwood. Your suffering ends tonight, the sinister voice hissed. The door flew into Cheryl's face. She tried to step backward onto the stairs, but her bad knee crumbled beneath her as the weight of the door sent her back with undeniable force. Her hands flailed as they searched for the safety rail and found nothing but cold air. Then, for a brief moment, she was suspended in midair. The door opened again, and as Cheryl fell, she saw the silhouette of her husband standing triumphantly above her. She landed head first at the bottom of the stairs. To her surprise, she remained awake, but unable to move. The stairs creaked, but she couldn't turn her head or move her eyes far enough to see them. She could only listen as her killer descended towards her, as if he had all the time in the world. He did, she supposed. Who would ever interrupt him? The stairs groaned one final time and Cheryl knew the murderer inside Lee was standing right behind her paralyzed body. She managed to whimper, but could make no greater sound. There would be no screaming for help, no crying for mercy. There, there, sweet Cheryl. Your struggle is over, the voice said. Cheryl's vision began to fade, but no, it wasn't fading. It was being filled with something wispy and dark. A lively shadow, or smoke perhaps. 
It moved across her vision in a dreamy dance as it became denser and deeper. Suddenly, Cheryl realized she could see shapes moving beyond the smoky veil. One of the shapes was growing larger. As it neared her, it began to take form. It was walking on two narrow legs. Its arms were outstretched. It was... Lee. Lee was there, just beyond the veil. He held his arms out as if to embrace her. Cheryl's fears began to subside as she accepted her fate. But then she noticed Lee's outstretched arms were moving. They were waving frantically. His head was shaking back and forth. As one wispy plume shifted across her vision, Cheryl briefly got a clear view of her husband's mouth, which was forming the words, Stay away! over and over. His warning came far too late. Cheryl's fate was sealed even before the knife came down again. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.